Good evening. Welcome to NTD Business. Coming up. China's Xi Jinping meets with Russia's Vladimir Putin for the first time since the war in Ukraine. Xi wants China and Russia to lead the world. Railroads and unions reach a tentative deal, averting a potential strike, at least for now. And the chairman of the SEC in the spotlight today, senators questioning him over a contentious climate rule. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here. Today, China's Xi Jinping met with Russia's Vladimir Putin for the first time since the invasion of Ukraine. The meeting aimed to showcase a solid relationship between the two countries. In the face of challenges in the world, times and history, China is willing to work with Russia to demonstrate the responsibility of a major country, play a leading role and inject stability into a turbulent world. The foreign policy tandem between Moscow and Beijing plays a key role in ensuring global and regional stability. We jointly advocate the formation of a just, democratic and multipolar world order. So it appears China's relationship with Russia is living up to their, quote, no-limits friendship agreement from earlier this year, you may remember. The two, con- the two countries back then in February said in a joint statement, quote, there are no forbidden areas of cooperation. So what does China stand to gain from a partnership with Russia, mainly an ally to stand with against the U.S. and the West? Moscow and Beijing both want to expand their influence in the world stage, and they know a U.S.-dominated international order holds them back. On the economic side, the countries have what experts call complementary economies. They plan to boost bilateral trade by a massive 50 percent by 2024, just two years away. China needs energy big time, and Russia has an abundance of oil and natural gas. In fact, more than half of Russia's exports to China in 2020 were energy-related. Russia's recently completed power of Siberia pipeline when running at full capacity could make China the second largest importer of Russian natural gas after Germany. And the two countries are also planning another cross-border pipeline. After the war began in an effort to reduce their dependence on Western banking systems and to sidestep U.S. sanctions, China and Russia began moving away from using U.S. dollars and euros for trade. They'll use their own currencies instead. So after today's meeting between Xi and Putin, it looks like the two countries' relationship is pretty solid. But it's not guaranteed. A big meeting of top Chinese officials is coming up, the Chinese Communist Party Congress. It is more than likely Xi Jinping will get another third term as leader. But if he doesn't, who knows who the new guy would treat Russia? However, that being said, the chances of anyone other than Xi becoming head of the Communist Party are slim. And another factor to consider is who comes to the relationship with Russia's war in Ukraine. Depending on how successful Russian troops are, it could alter the dynamics between China and Russia. Experts we spoke with say that right now Moscow has a weaker standing in the relationship because of Russia's apparently faltering invasion of Ukraine. It's been reported that, China, that Russia needs China's help now more than ever to sustain the war, and that puts Moscow at the mercy of Beijing. Would you want to be there? 
That could be why Putin today said he openly supports the one China principle. This is a slap in the face for the people of Taiwan who oppose being ruled by the Chinese Communist Party who vowed to annex Taiwan. But it could be that Putin wants China's support for the Ukraine invasion quite simply. But even though China says there are no limits to the partnership with Russia, in fact, there likely are some at least. If Russia loses the war in Ukraine, that could dramatically change Beijing's relationship with the country. China could try to distance itself from Russia. We've seen this happen already after the West sanctioned Russia. We saw China being deterred from helping Russia too much, stopped exporting certain high-tech to the country after the United States told it not to. But it seems Beijing likely won't sacrifice its own economic interests to support Moscow. China will always put its own interests first, it seems. So how the new enhanced alliance will play out specifically will likely depend on the geopolitical environment. We'll keep you updated. And back in the United States, President Biden today said a tentative deal has been reached between the unions and rail companies. Wuha. That means they've potentially averted a major strike that could have halted the U.S. economy even hit fuel and food supplies. Indeed, Jessica Beatty has more on that. President Biden called the tentative deal a win for thousands of rail workers, as well as the companies who will now be able to, quote, retain and recruit more workers. The agreement came around 5 in the morning Thursday after 20 consecutive hours of negotiations at the Department of Labor. One union leader thanked Biden and the Labor Department. Last night was a uh, historic night for rail labor. Uh, we're very proud of what was accomplished. Uh, everybody pulling together to make sure that uh, we could get our members what they, uh, what they deserve. While we don't know the details, Biden said the agreement gives rail workers better pay and improved working conditions. Union leader Dennis Pierce agreed. This is the quality of life issue that we have been trying to get for our members since bargaining around. Negotiators had until Friday to reach a deal. A potential strike and shutdown could freeze almost 30% of U.S. cargo shipments and cost the U.S. economy up to $2 billion per day. Arthur Wheaton from Cornell University says it's a huge political hot potato because a strike could make inflation worse. Nobody wants the strike to interfere with an already fragile economy. So a strike in this sector could raise grain prices, could raise fertilizer prices, could any of the materials that are shipped by rail could go up. Biden established an emergency board to help speed up negotiations. The president got some surprise support Wednesday from Republicans who submitted a resolution to pass recommendations made by Biden's team. This is really weird that Senator Wicker and I are on the floor introducing legislation that supports the president's position. Progressive caucus member Bernie Sanders opposed the measure. There cannot be an approval of a union agreement unless the workers themselves vote on it. The deal will now go back to the unions for a vote. After that, there will be a cooling off period of several weeks. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. And bad news for your 401k, sorry to tell you. Wall Street indexes firmly in the red today. The Dow dropped 173 points, six tenths of a percent. S&P lost 45 points, one and one tenth of a percent. And the Nasdaq fell 167 points, one and four tenths of a percent today. And the billionaire founder of Patagonia says he's giving the company away to a trust that will use its profits to fight climate issues. Yvonne Chinard is transferring his family's ownership of the company instead of selling it or taking it public. The company's voting stock is being transferred to the Patagonia Purpose Trust. 
Non-voting stock has been given to the Hold Fast Collective, a nonprofit dedicated to the environment, and members of the Chinard family will oversee the trust. Patagonia will continue to operate as a private, for-profit corporation. And Gary Gensler, the chairman of the Securities Exchange Commission, was in the hot seat today during a congressional hearing. Senators grilled him on several topics, including a draft rule about climate disclosures. The rule requires publicly traded companies to disclose the risks to the climate, like how much greenhouse gases they emit. Pennsylvania Republican Senator Pat Toomey says companies will have to spend a lot more money to comply with the new rule. And he says the cost could increase by more than five times. He also says the agency is overstepping its authority and that the rule could be used against traditional energy companies. But, of course, the climate disclosure rule isn't really about informed investment decision. It's about equipping climate activists with data to run political pressure campaigns against companies, which will often be to the detriment of shareholders. The end game is to discourage capital investment in oil and natural gas and other traditional energy industries. And we've seen how well that's working out in Europe. Gensler, though, defended the rule, saying it's about protecting investors against companies' climate risks. But investors today want to know about climate risk because it matters to the future path of the performance, financial and other performance. Montana Democrat John Tester, who is a farmer himself, raised concerns about the rule's impact on small businesses. Under the draft rule, public companies also need to disclose emissions in their supply chains. That includes farmers who, for example, sell meat to companies like Tyson, which is traded on the stock exchange. Gensler says the agency is considering the public feedback. If the company says to me, look, if you're going to do business with me, i got to have all this information, what are my recourses? We got some very good comments, and we're working through this, um, is that that public company you sell to does not have any obligation to ask you specifically. This is what the public comment process is about. Republicans also pressured Gensler in what they see is his increasingly hawkish stance on cryptocurrency oversight. And despite high levels of inflation, many top voices are concerned about deflation. Does that excite you? Star investor Kathy Wood, Bond King Jeffrey Gundlach, and Elon Musk himself are concerned prices will begin falling too much. Deflation, of course, is the opposite of inflation. It's when prices fall. Some consider this a contrarian view, though. It's because inflation, as we know, is at a level not seen since the 1980s. Not really slowing down, either. At a time of controversial economic policy and soaring oil prices, the Fed wants to get inflation down by continuously hiking rates until the job is done, in their words. They don't seem concerned about possibly overachieving their goal. But Kathy Wood believes they will. She says the Fed is making a mistake by hiking too fast. And a big driver of the coming deflation that she sees is also, quote, technologically enabled sources of innovation. She divides these innovations into five categories, DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology. Easily, we could see how artificial intelligence and robots could replace taxi drivers, accountants, editors, factory workers, even doctors, it seems. And Wood believes AI will permeate every sector, every industry, every company. 
And that means without a human-sized salary needed, prices for numerous products and services could go down. At the same time, Kathy Wood believes that advances in DNA sequencing can dramatically bring down health care costs. In other words, altering people's DNA. What do you think? Whether people will be open to that and whether that's even a good idea, both of for debate. Another technology that could bring down prices, she believes, is Bitcoin. There will never ever be more than 21 million Bitcoins. That's the way the system was designed. And if Bitcoin becomes more mainstream, like Wood believes it will, that means it could have a deflationary effect because the number of Bitcoins that exist will be limited, not like those US dollars they keep printing. Therefore, the value of each coin can't increase. Actually, the number is expected to decrease because people are likely to lose their private keys or passwords. Can't get your Bitcoins back. And that means the Bitcoins will be lost for eternity. Finally, we have energy storage. Wood believes that every time electric vehicle battery capacity doubles, costs will drop 28%. Energy, huge factor because that's what powers civilization. Advancements that lead to lower costs will be a huge deflationary force. But it's not all rainbows and unicorns. There are huge barriers blocking the development of America's battery source, energy source. First of all, China has the vast majority of the materials needed to make the batteries. This is a chart. It shows how the U.S. companies compare to China when it comes to manufacturing of battery parts. If it were shown in a bar chart format, you wouldn't even see the United States bars most of the time, and we're hardly developing the capacity to cut our reliance on China. China also produces the vast majority of minerals needed to make batteries, such as lithium and cobalt. And aside from that, regulations are making it very difficult to connect batteries to power systems. And third, energy markets were designed for fossil fuels, nothing else. These markets, which are run by regional transmission organizations, would have to change massively to fit in battery storage. So to have more battery innovation, we need to develop the supply chains, reform energy markets, and change regulations. And then according to Wood, firms that fail to adapt to the innovating world would be in trouble. The goods and services would become obsolete, and they may have to cut prices as they're going out of business, so some temporary deflation there as well. And talking about innovation, since humankind set foot on the moon more than 50 years ago, many have dreamed of actually living there. While a dream is yet to be realized, emerging technology is already making lunar habitat for humans. Here's the story. I, I just think it's very cool. Very cool. Daniel Aviles, who works with 3D technology, admires the 3D lunar habitat at the International Manufacturing Technology Show in Chicago this week. The display is a portion of a two-and-a-half-story lunar habitat for a crew of two astronauts to live and work. Chris Chaya is manager at Ingersoll Machine Tools, which makes the structure. He says the lunar habitat can survive the moon's atmosphere and protect the astronauts. So the material itself is, is pretty inert. It's also uh, vacuum tight. So it can withstand uh, the atmosphere on the moon or the lack of atmosphere on the moon. Um, and it can also hold the pressure that's going to be required for the astronauts to live inside of that habitat. The structure has a curvy contour that would challenge traditional manufacturing, but is easy for 3D printing technology. 3D printing is a process of making three-dimensional solid objects layer by layer. With 3D printing, I can 3D print that shape really close to what it's supposed to be, and then anywhere where I need to mill it smooth, 
I can just take off a few millimeters of material as opposed to milling out of an entire block of material. In addition to being able to create difficult shapes, 3D printing consumes minimal materials and it's also very efficient. So the habitat that we have here was printed in 22 hours. The whole thing in one piece, 22 hours. Uh, traditionally to manufacture a component like this would probably take several months. Rosenberg Institute, a Swiss boarding school, and Saga Space Architects co-designed the structure. Their end goal is to ship a 3D printer to the moon so it can print a habitat using the materials available on the moon. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. Pretty clever. Still to come, stay with us. A top blockchain is getting a major software upgrade, drastically reducing its energy use. And consumers looking for ways to save this holiday shopping season. How is inflation affecting shopping habits? We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. long been criticized for being bad for the environment. The process of producing and trading Bitcoin and the like requires vast banks of computers using huge amounts of energy. But not Bitcoin rival Ethereum may have found the answer. It's just completed a long-hyped merge. That sees it move to a new system which backers say cuts its energy consumption by 99.95%. The inventor announced the news in a tweet today. Prior to the change, a single transaction on Ethereum used as much power as the average U.S. household uses in a week, according to researchers at Digiconomist. Now, fans hope the change will help its Ether tokens gain ground. They're up 85% from June lows, far outperforming gains by Bitcoin. And Kanye West is trashing his partnership with Gap, pun intended. If you remember, he wanted his recent line of Yeezy Gap products sold out of giant trash bags. Some called it genius, others said it was a stunt. Either way, you won't find his clothes at Gap anymore in trash bags or otherwise. West says Gap breached the partnership by not opening branded Yeezy stores and distributing his apparel as originally planned, among some other complaints. Now he plans on opening up his own Yeezy stores. Typical Kanye. And holiday shopping season is approaching, with consumers changing their shopping habits amid high inflation. A recent report from consumer financial services company Bankrate details how shoppers plan to adjust to the rising prices. And entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. According to Bankrate's report, 40% of holiday shoppers say inflation will affect how they shop. Many plan to start early. We found that Half of holiday shoppers are likely to begin prior to Halloween, uh, which is similar to years past, but I think the motivation has changed. 
Last year, it was more about supply chain woes. This year, I think it's more about inflation. 95% of consumers who say inflation will change their shopping habits say they will use some kind of money-saving approach this holiday season. Popular ways to save include using coupons, discounts, and purchasing fewer items. Look for ways to combine multiple strategies. Use a store coupon and a rewards credit card that you hopefully pay in full to avoid interest. And if you're shopping online, go through one of those portals like Rakuten or Shop Through Chase that'll give you bonus points or cash back. That's three ways to save potentially on the same purchase. While most shoppers are looking to save, a significant amount of consumers plan to take on debt this holiday season. Credit card rates are averaging 18% right now, which is the highest we've seen in 26 years. It did dismay me a bit to see that about a quarter of holiday shoppers are likely to take on debt. While inflation is causing concern among shoppers, the fading pandemic could also influence how consumers spend. This also hopefully will be the most normal holiday season we've seen in three years. Hopefully, you know, pandemic willing. And I think that could also lead to spending because people are going to be more likely to travel and they want to have more parties and they want to, you know, bring gifts for everybody. Whether or not retailers do well this holiday season remains to be seen. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. As the latest in the NTD business team, and myself, Paul Graney. If you like, though, you can follow me on Twitter. Oh, if you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Please do. We'd like to hear from you. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.